0: Section 36 of 4 and 20 Fairy Tales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Whisk. Princess Leonette, and Prince Kukriku by Mademoiselle de Lebert. Translated by James Planchet. Part 4. Cornu ceased speaking, and the king, having expressed his acknowledgments, replied, "'What can I do for you, madame? My heart is my own no longer. I have no wish to deceive you. Not only is such perfidy incompatible with my nature, but you too well know that I think, for me to attempt to impose on your cruelty, and I owe you too much gratitude for saving my life willingly to deceive you, were it in my power, but why have you preserved one who never can make you happy?' Far better would it have been for you to have obeyed your oracle, certain that you will always oppose my happiness. I should have received my death at your hands with pleasure since I can never entertain
1: you a warmer feeling than gratitude. You would have relieved me from the shame of appearing thankless to you, and from being obliged to drag out an existence far from the
0: object of my eternal affection. The king was silent and the fairy greatly agitated.
1: Neither spoke for some time. "'What did this deceitful oracle promise you?' "'At length,' inquired the king. "'If you can be rendered happy by ending my life, why defer the sacrifice? "'The generosity you have shown in preserving it excites in my heart a feeling of emulation. "'Conduct me to the temple. "'It will not be you that will immolate me at least. "'Love will acquit you, for love will dispose of my life, "'as it is he who prevents my making you the mistress of it.'
0: "'Talk no more of sacrifice,' said the fairy rising.' "'Your life is too precious for me not to struggle to preserve it, "'at the risk of all that may happen. "'Come to my palace, and we will see tomorrow what can be done.' She then moved towards her chariot, which she stepped into with the prince, and the lions went at such speed that they arrived almost immediately at the Opal Palace. Here it was that Lianna abandoned herself to the bitterest grief when she saw the fairy descend from her chariot with the prince, desiring that her lions might be put into a grotto, where a thousand other wild animals were lodged that she drove in harness. Oh, heavens, she cried, to what am I reduced? She permitted herself to be led away to the grotto, and retiring into a darker corner, stretched herself upon a little straw, and passed the night groaning at her fate. Some days elapsed without anyone disturbing her sad repose, at the end of which time two young fairies came to take four lions, some tigers, and two bears, to be hunted for the entertainment of the fairy and in honor of the king. As the princess was ignorant of the purpose for which these animals were selected, she did not speak to the fairies. But what a situation for her! Her lover, whom she could not doubt, was in the palace, and who could not know her, the severity of the fairy, the horror of passing her days in the strange place, all gave her a disgust to life, which would not yield to the love she possessed for the king, though it had been redoubled by the sight of him. "'Ah, why should I continue to love him?' she exclaimed. Doubtless he no longer loves me, and to render my punishment the greater, I feel he is more lovely than ever. Let me die, and may he never know the extent of the misery he has caused me. Bereft of his love, bereft of him, why should I regret to die? She could not suppose him to be enamored of Cornu. She tried in vain to think why he was at the Opal Palace. She lamented the timidity that induced her to fly from Tigreline at the crowing of the cock. In recalling to her mind the few circumstances she was cognizant of, she felt convinced that the cock that flew in at the window was certainly the same, which was brought to Cornu and retransformed upon the sword of elegance. How contrary is my destiny, said she. My heart pants for an object which certainly compels me to fly from it. Let me hasten to put an end to this torment. Can the approach of death be a greater punishment? Concrete ungrateful Con Cricu has forgotten me. Why should I any longer doubt it? He let me go and expire at the foot of the rose tree and forever fly from a place that only aggravates and redoubles my grief. Fortunately, the fairies had not shut the door of the grotto. The wretched princess stole out and found herself in Cornu's forest. She heard a great noise of horns and dogs. She entered a thick part of the wood which appeared likely to conceal her. Anxious to let the chase go by, she had thrust herself under some low branches when she heard a dear voice she could not be mistaken in. This voice spoke to one whom she soon knew to be the Fairy Cornu. "'Yes,
1: madame, I avow it. I have an invincible repugnance to hunt lions ever since the unfortunate Leonette has been changed into one. I know not what has become of her. You wish me to remain in ignorance about her.' You object to my taking any means by which I might obtain knowledge of her present position. You wish to kill me. Ah, why then do you hesitate when your oracle demands my death? Let me go to consult it. Or with my sword will I rid myself of a life which is rendered insupportable by your tyranny.
0: How can you imagine, replied the fairy, that I should allow you to seek this oracle who demands your death? For it is not that he desires a cock as a sacrifice more than any other bird. It is you yourself that the barbarous oracle would have immolated. And do you think I will consent to that? I love you, and you hate me. That is all my offense in your eyes. And if I were to restore Leonette to you, you would soon forget even the trifling gratitude you might profess to entertain for me. I, exclaimed the king, forget it? Never. I forget that I was indebted to you for the happiness of my existence. Do not imagine it. Restore her to her natural shape, and
1: I swear to you I will agree to everything that depends upon myself. You will command my obedience, and my friendship will be unbounded. In fact, if I cannot give you my heart, at least there will be so little apparent difference that you
0: yourself will scarcely perceive it. Enough, said the fairy. I trust to your oath and I will yield to your impatience. Tomorrow we will proceed to the temple of the rose tree. I will expose myself to its anger. I will try to appease it. And then we shall see if your word is inviolable. The king and fairy passed on and the princess delighted to find her lover as faithful as she believed him inconsistent, turned her footsteps towards the temple of the rose tree and arrived there late that night. All the flowers were asleep she did not disturb any of them. She went and lay at the feet of the two bros. She did not sleep. The beauty of the night filled her soul, already prepared to receive delightful impressions. With the purest joy, unmingled with a shade of sorrow, the amiable Kunkriku, faithful and loving, appeared in her idea so worthy of being loved that she did not regret all she had suffered for him. She never thought about his being a king. She disdained every advantage that was the mere consequence of chance. He was worthy of her affection. That was all she considered. Hornu's reproach had revealed her jealousy. Leonette, in an instant, therefore, understood why the fairy had so ill-treated her, and, as the happiest love is subject to reverses, she distressed herself at what the king would have to suffer if he resisted the fairy's passion. She immediately determined to abandon her lover to her rival in order to save his life, which the oracle had told her he would lose if she opposed his choice. Some mournful reflections upon the situation succeeded to those that had so pleasantly occupied her. She determined to seek the oracle without delay. She rose very quietly and entered the temple as the day broke. King Kokriku was not in a better situation. The horror with which Cornu had inspired him by her new barbarity in wishing his mistress to perish by his hand under the pertinence of affording him the entertainment of a lion hunt was unconquerable. His patience was exhausted, and he only feigned to agree to her wishes in order to gain time to be revenged by getting the necklace out of her possession. The fairy had luckily not noticed the little bottle under his wing the day she restored him to his form. He therefore still possessed it, and trusted it would be of great use to him. He retired early that night, under pretense of being fatigued, and the fairy begged he would wear the ornaments that she had ordered to be put into his room, that he might make a grander figure in the eyes of the rose-tree. He was no sooner in his own apartment than the recollection of what Cornu had said, and of what he had promised, threw him into deepest distress, as he foresaw that if he could not anticipate the artful fairy's intention, he should only obtain from his jealous enemy the pleasure of once more seeing Leonette, in return for which Cornu would undoubtedly insist upon his marrying her. This cruel thought made him more eager for revenge, and that feeling was increased by his observing a large basket made of pearls and garnet and filigree work which stood on a table beside him. He made no doubt it contained the presents she had requested him to wear. He raised the white taffeta embroidered in gold which covered this elegant basket, and perceived with astonishment mingled with rage the royal robes that are worn at the marriage of the kings of the fortunate islands, as they were the work of the fairies. It is impossible to describe their magnificence a moment afterwards, recollecting that he should appear thus attired before the princess, he could not divest himself of the idea that occurred to him that perhaps such magnificence might make an impression on her. However, believing the fair to be asleep, he resolved to put his plan in execution without delay, and throwing all the ornaments back into the basket, he ascended a private staircase which led to Cornu's bedchamber. He arrived without any obstacle at her bedside. The curtains were opened and held back by cupids of Mother of Pearl. These also supported crystal chandeliers filled with wax lights to illuminate the room. When she could not sleep, the cupids sang or read to her the news of the day, gazettes, or fresh stories that were written about the fairies. On that night, they must certainly have been reading to her as long a story as this, for she snored terribly. She could not have foreseen the king's unseasonable visit, for no one could look so ugly in bed as she did. She had neither rouge nor patches, and her livid and unhealthy-looking skin gave her more the appearance of a corpse than a living and amorous fairy. Her horn assisted in making her more hideous, She had the fatal necklace around her neck which was partly uncovered. The king was not at all enchanted by the sight of her. His desire to free himself from so hideous an object made him hastily draw forth his little bottle, in order to fling some drops of its contents over the fairy, when all the cupids suddenly began to cry, Who goes there? Who goes there? The fairy opened her eyes and the king remained more surprised and more distressed than it is possible to say. "'What do you hear, prince?' said she, sitting upright. "'What has brought you into my room "'without having sent me word of your intention?' "'She would have asked him a thousand other questions "'if she had had the time, for the king, "'more alarmed at her ugliness than at the menacing tone "'she gave to her words, allowed her to talk, "'and did not answer her. "'What would you do?' she said again. "'Explain your object.' "'I am very sorry, madame, to have disturbed your rest "'at length,' said the king.' But not knowing your projects before I definitively pledge my word to you, I wish to know what you propose to exact from me. Would there not have been time tomorrow, said the fairy, to have asked me this mighty question? And was it necessary to awake me for so silly a purpose? Go to your rest, my lord, and tomorrow we shall be in a condition for you to propose and for me to resolve. The king, truly seeing no other way of getting out of this embarrassment, "'was very well disposed to return to his room "'when the fairy called him back. "'Come here,' cried she. "'Where are you going? "'Ought you not to apologize for your imprudence, "'or do you think you have not committed any?' "'The king, annoyed by this fresh obstacle "'which prevented him from retiring, said, "'Ah, but, madame, do not make me commit a greater fault "'in any longer disturbing your rest. "'It ought to be precious to me and the respect I owe you.' "'Now, now,' replied the fairy. "'Approach. I do not wish to sleep any more, "'and I will absolutely know what brought you here. "'Do not fear to offend me, "'but dread to conceal your feelings from me. "'I wish for a candid avowal, "'and,' continued she, looking at him most affectionately, "'I expect you will entertain me "'as a punishment for awakening me.' "'The king, at this disagreeable proposition, "'thought he should lose all patience.' but being in the power of this terrible person, he suppressed his first movement, and seating himself out of respect, some distance from the fairy's bed, said,
1: Since you wish it, madame, I will obey you. I came not thinking you were asleep to ask you to restore the princess to her natural form immediately, and to declare,
0: without that, I cannot follow you to the temple of the rose-tree. replied the fairy, much annoyed at this commencement, this is a beautiful subject to disturb every one about. Could not that have been deferred till tomorrow? No, madame, replied the king,
1: and I am very sorry I did not urge it yesterday without being under the necessity of waiting another day. Well, said the fairy,
0: what will you do for me in return? And what have I to expect from your gratitude? I have told you, Madame, the strongest friendship and all that an affectionate heart could further give. Friendship, replied the fairy. No, no, King Kokriku. It is not at such a price that I dispense my favors. It must be of more value than that. Shall I tell you what it is? It is not worth while to wait till tomorrow to inform you. I cannot ask you for your love. I am convinced of that. You are incapable of feeling it for me. You have made me sufficiently understand that, but I will forgive you upon condition that tomorrow you will solemnly give me your faith. The king, prepared as he had been for this event by Tigreline, could not quietly listen to her discourse and find himself so near renouncing for ever a princess whom he loved without feeling it most cruelly. "'If my heart were free,' he replied in a tone of voice, changed by the excessive effort he made to suppress his fury. I could offer you the one or the
1: other, but, madame, I have disposed of my heart beyond my own control, and I will not offer you my hand, the possession of which would make you miserable, for at every instant I should make you feel in spite of myself, that my heart being separated from it, I was not worthy the honor you conferred on me. The gratitude I owe you therefore obliges me absolutely to refuse you at the peril of my life.
0: We shall see that tomorrow, replied Cornu. Go and strengthen or change your noble resolutions, but remember that if you resist mine, it will not be your life that will answer to me for it. I shall know how to find, in spite of you, the sensitive place of a heart you assure me is so indifferent." The king, maddened by rage and grief, departed and returned to his own apartments, where he abandoned himself to the deepest despair. Twenty times he was about to plunge his sword in his heart and sacrifice his life to the princess, but thinking he might perhaps revenge her, or at least save her from the fury of the fairy, he abandoned that frightful idea and resolved upon going to the temple of the rose tree. As soon as the morning appeared, the palace of the fairy sounded with the music and nuptial hymns. She sent to know if the king was ready, giving an order that they should attend to him as her husband. A pompous chariot was in the palace court. All the fairies from far and near were summoned to this ceremony. They arrived from every quarter. Tigreline only announced that she should be at the temple. At length the king appeared. His pale and thin face indicated that he was the victim of the sacrifice rather than the person to whom it was to be offered with all that he was as lovely as the day. Cornu was attired as a queen. All the skill in the world had been employed about her robes. She seated herself with the king in her chariot, and all the fairies followed according to their rank, riding upon eagles, dragons, tigers, and leopards. A dozen beautiful young fairies in the court of Cornu, led in couples a dozen lions upon which, during all the journey, the king had his eyes fixed seeking to discover if the unfortunate Lionette were not amongst them. They set out amidst a flourish of drums and trumpets, and they arrived at the Sward of Elegance. The flowers were already on the boundaries and formed two ranks six feet high between which the brilliant procession passed. Amidst loud acclamations and joyous song, the temple was crowded. The most beautiful flowers had formed two thrones of exquisite taste and the coup was enchanting so well was everything arranged. The unfortunate Lionette was already in the temple, and the pleasure of seeing Tigreline there, whom she remembered directly, had relieved in a slight degree the deep grief she was in at becoming compelled to witness the happiness of her cruel rival. "'I shall die, madame,' said she to the fairy. "'But at any rate, let the king know, after my decease, that my affection has equaled his own,' and that I pardon him a fault which fate has made him commit. I do not condemn him for his inconsistency. She wept so bitterly in finishing these words that she was so overcome by the violence of her grief that she did not see the king and the fairy enter. Cornu first approached the rose-tree. "'I come,' said she, "'to redeem my word, divinity of this place. "'You demanded of me the sacrifice of a fowl. "'I have too well understood your oracle.' Behold what you required, and I think I shall interpret your wishes by demanding of him, at the foot of your altar, the hand he is so reluctant to bestow upon me, a sacrifice which is to him greater than that of his life. The rose-tree drooped its leaves and blossoms, as if in approval of the words of the fairy. Cornu, then turning to the king, who had remained a few steps behind her, said, Approach, my lord, and fulfill the decree of fate. He was at this moment much more occupied with what he saw than what was said to him. He had perceived Tigreline, and he no longer doubted that the lioness at her side was his divine princess. He looked at her tenderly and sorrowfully, not daring, however, to approach her for fear of displeasing Tigreline, who had made him a severe sign to prevent him. Cornu, surprised at his silence, turned towards him and saw him in this pleasant occupation. Then placing on the altar the crown which she held in her hand, in order that the king might put it on her head, she approached him. What are you about? said she. Is this a time for dreaming? I delay my reply, madame, said the king without much emotion, till you shall render to the
1: princess of the Golden Island the form which you have so injustly deprived her of. Afterwards I will do what gratitude demands of me, and I will not deceive you.
0: Cornu, perceiving that it was not time to recede, especially as she saw Tigreline present, her superior in power, and that the day which she had chosen for this ceremony was precisely that on which the fairies are subject to death, was very cautious not to let the king know this, for fear that he should take advantage of those four and twenty hours to revenge himself for the cruelty which she had exercised on him and the princess, yet nevertheless she was not willing to delay the fulfillment of her happiness. Knowing, therefore, that it was impossible to deceive the king any longer, she turned to Tigreline, who led the lioness to the altar. "'My sister,' said Cornu, taking off the necklace and presenting it to Tigreline, "'I restore the princess to you, and you can use your power to make her resume her proper form, but spare her the grief of seeing me crowned by the hand of her lover, and depart with her as she can never be his.' Tigerline lost not a moment. In lieu of replying to Cornu, the good fairy touched the lioness with her wand, and the princess stood before them more beautiful and more amiable than ever. She was, by the care of the fairy, clothed magnificently and in the finest taste. She had a dress of cloth of silver, covered with garlands of everlasting flower, the gurdula flower, her beautiful light hair, adorned with diamonds and the same sort of flowers as those on her dress fell in curls on her shoulders and made her appear more beautiful than the day. The king was transported. He advanced towards her, and falling on one knee, "'Will you permit, beautiful princess,' said he, "'that the faith which I have plighted you should be taken from you, "'and that the unjust fairy who has made us so unhappy "'should quite enjoy a crown which should be yours.' "'The princess Leonette, during the time that her lover was speaking, "'kept her eyes tenderly fixed upon him,' and by the tears which gently rolled down her cheek let him see the effort which she made in giving him up i cannot said she at length oppose fate yes my dear prince you must submit i release you from your vows live happy without me if it be possible for you to do so and as i must of necessity lose you i quit this life without regret and i am happy in dying and having been able to tell you once more without its being a crime that i love you yes you shall die cried the furious cornu i have borne enough insult and that is another happiness which you have not counted against those you boast of at this fateful moment the king at these words rose from the feet of the princess who did not seem alarmed even at seeing her rival advance towards her with a poniard in her hand He arrested the fairy with one hand, and with the other
1: drew his sword. It is I who will perish, cried he, and you cannot attempt the life of my princess which mine will answer for. Oh, heavens, cried the fairy
0: and Leonette at the same time. Hold, Tigreline then advanced towards Cornu. She had not spoken till that moment. She had allowed everything to proceed, and those to speak who were most anxious to do so. She raised her wand, and touching Cornu,
1: receive said she. "'Today the reward of your misdeeds, and witness in your turn the happiness of these two
0: lovers.' At the words, Cornu remained motionless, but her eyes shone with such terrible fury that, not being able to find expression for it, her horn seemed on fire, and she foamed with rage. "'And you, wise rose-tree,' continued Tigerline, "'resume your form and enjoy the pleasure.' of embracing your amiable daughter. She had not finished these words when the rose tree bending itself a little appeared in its true form. It was that of a man about fifty years of age, nobly made, and magnificently attired. He had a long regal mantle and a crown of gold set with two precious stones on his head. Leonette resembled him so extremely that no one in the whole assembly could doubt that she was his daughter." That beautiful princess threw herself into his arms with so much natural delight that all the company were affected by it. The good king received her with transports of joy, which would have been more prolonged if he had not perceived at his feet the young king of the fortunate islands who embraced his knees. He quitted his daughter a moment to raise the handsome Concreteu.
1: I give you my daughter, said he to him, embracing him. Receive her, my lord, and live as happily as I have seen you miserable. I add my crown to this gift, and though I do not expect it will increase your happiness, judging by the vexations it has brought on me, still, such as it is, I give it to my daughter to present to you.
0: At this moment the king would have taken off his crown, but the young king cried, No,
1: sire, you shall not cease to reign. The charming, the tender Leonette fulfills all of my wishes, and my crown is at her feet. Permit us to live with you, and let nothing
0: separate us any more. Tigreline applauded this mark of generosity in King Kong and taking Leonette by the hand, she presented her to him. He received her with transports of love more easily imagined than described. Then, raising his crown and placing one knee on the ground, he presented it to Leonette who accepted it as she plighted her troth to him. The temple resounded with the nuptial hymn. It was only interrupted by Cornu, who uttered a piercing cry and expired, it being her day of doom. Her death caused no extraordinary sensation. The young king and the princess alone appeared affected by the result of her despair. Tigerline had her carried away, and the ceremony was concluded. King Konkriku was turning toward the king, his father-in-law, asked him if he wished to witness the coronation of the Queen Leonette, or if he would prefer waiting where he was for some days. I would entreat a favor of the kind Tigreline, and of my dear husband if I dare speak at this moment.
1: My dear princess, cried the king tenderly, What do you fear?
0: I would then, said the princess, that, disembarrassed of the cares of the government, we could live here always, and that, content with my happiness, "'I might be occupied with nothing, but the pleasure of enjoying it. "'It is here that I have regained what is to me most valuable, "'what signifies to me the rest of the world. "'If I live with these two persons, and if you, madame,' "'added she, addressing the fairy, "'seemed to come and see me and restore me to my two fortunate guardians.' "'I consent,' said the two kings at once. "'Yes, my daughter,' said the fairy in her turn. I approve of these noble sentiments, and you shall live here as a queen, but without feeling the inconvenience of it, you shall both also enjoy the gift of fairydom. I bestow it on you. Then, touching the hedges that formed the walls of the temple, the whole structure was changed into a palace of emeralds so brilliant and so magnificent that never was anything seen to equal it. The flowers became living and speaking persons, having as the sole mark of their transformation a flower of their name on the head. The greensward became a magnificent garden. On one side appeared a vast forest, at one end of which the fairy caused to be built a little palace of rose-color and white marble, and at the other one of rock crystal in which she had the kindness to place the fine model of the universe, which had been the delight of the king in his youth. The princess was enchanted.
1: It is for me, said the king, an inestimable gift It will recall to me without ceasing the pleasure I have enjoyed in exploring it in
0: search of my dear princess. And I, said she, will hold it dear because it has taught you that I was occupied with your memory. The fairy was charmed to see them so happy with a degree of love, so little known in our time or even in that at which they lived. Love each other always, thus, my children— "'said she, embracing them, "'I can give you nothing preferable to that blessing. "'It is the only real happiness.' "'She then made them observe "'that each palace had its separate gardens, "'its cascades, fountains, and charming flowerbeds. "'On the other side of the garden "'was a large and flowing river, "'upon which were a thousand superb gondolas, "'silver and gridilla, "'which wound around towards a castle "'built entirely of flowers.' the marvelous variety of which had an admirable effect in crowning the summit of a mountain with terraces laid out as gardens, descending to the brink of the river and which served as a country house to the palace of emeralds. "'I give you all this,' said Tigreline, embracing Leonette. "'Live here, my children. Millions of years your subjects will love you and never betray you. If you wish for more, a touch of this wand—' said she giving hers to lionette will change all the flowers into speaking and rational beings and they will become flowers again at your will the king and lionette threw themselves at the feet of the fairy and thanked her heartily she raised them and again embraced them wave your wand said she to the princess that your guardians may have the pleasure of being recalled by yourself the beautiful lionette quickly made this first trial of her power The good people appeared immediately. She ran to embrace them, but they feared to receive her caresses. The beautiful queen, however, pressed them to her heart so affectionately that they at length returned her embraces with a tenderness which drew tears from all beholders. The queen, seeing them so aged and decrepit, turned her beautiful eyes full of tears on the fairy, who comprehended what she suffered. I like to see so much sensibility, madame, said Tigreline. Use your power. You cannot employ it better than in the way you at present desire. She had not finished these words when the old man and his wife appeared to be. He a man of twenty years, and the old woman a girl of eighteen. They threw themselves at the feet of the fairy and kissed the hands of the queen, who delighted to see them so young and amiable, embraced the fairy to thank her for this great favor. The good king then addressed his daughter, who turned her eyes affectionately on him.
1: Do not confer on me the same gift, my dear daughter. I do not wish to possess second youth. I see you happy. That is the only thing which would affect me. I shall never be sensible of greater joy. Leave to the gods the disposal of my days.
0: It is for me, said the fairy, to render them
1: happy. You shall live, sire, till you are sufficiently tired of life to wish to lose it. Adieu. My affairs compel me now to leave you, but
0: I shall speedily see you again. The queen conducted the fairy to her car. The two kings handed her into it, after which they returned to the palace, were charmed with each other's society. They passed their golden days more happy than they had ever been miserable. They lived millions of years and the king and queen presented the world with fairies and beneficent genie who are at this moment actually occupied in promoting the happiness of the universe. End of section 36. Recording by Jennifer Wisk.